Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is the, your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Nicole Taylor. Uh, she is has this conference coming out that she's created. Uh, we want to get into it, ask her about it, uh, when it's coming, what you're going to learn, the type of connections, networking, fellowship, if you will, that, that will be going on, and how you may be able to participate in it. Uh, so for those who'll be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify, will you please introduce yourself, Nicole? Hey everybody, my name is Nicole Taylor and I am an educator. I'm an instructional technology coordinator. I work with K-12 teachers um, to help them infuse technology into um, their lessons, um, of course, for teaching and learning in the Dallas area. Um, I'm also a mom of three, I'm a 16-year-old, nine-year-old twins, and um, I, my husband and I just had a quarantine anniversary a couple weeks ago. Um, we've been married 19 years. Awesome, awesome. So, uh, what is the Rethink Learning Summit? So, it just kind of, the Rethink Learning Summit, I'm going to start off and say I didn't plan to plan an event, right? We started kind of having conversations, um, me and a few educator friends, about like what has happened, you know, with the pandemic teaching and, um, you know, at the end of the crisis, we, we just kind of started talking about some positive things that have come out of um, what we've done amongst the other things that we would we know that we would like to um, pivot and change. And so we kind of started having conversations around um, COVID-19, but then um, with when other things um, started to um, arise um, as far as George Floyd and um, Armand and just all these other things, it's like if there were ever a time where as teachers that we need to kind of pause and figure out what's working and what's not, what's not, I feel like um, the time is now. And so we just started thinking, you know, teachers are going to, at the end of the summer, at the end of the school year, during the summer, like teachers are probably exhausted. And so they kind of need time to pause and um, reflect over what happened and then just kind of rethink and regroup. And so we just started talking about well, somebody needs to do this like somebody needs to do this and so somebody needs to do this and I was like well I guess I'm gonna be the somebody that does this and so um that's where we got um rethink learning summit so what can people expect uh, at the conference so what you can expect is there will be live sessions every day as well as um recorded pre-recorded sessions um we have um, a little over 35 sessions that you can attend over two days um things from um, how to use technology with younger students, how to be intentional with technology, um, SEL, cultural relevant pedagogy, um, trauma-informed teaching and learning, just anything that we probably need to have on the forefront of our minds as we go into the next school year. Um, we don't even know what that's going to look like. I know people have plans, but you know what happens with those plans, right? Um, we don't even know what it's going to look like. So if you can think about it needs to be changed or it needs to be addressed, we probably have a session for it at the summit. So I've seen this before and you just mentioned one of the topics of the sessions 
and I don't have, I have no idea what this means. So what is trauma informed teaching means? So just thinking about the fact that, and when I say we all have a certain level of trauma that we're dealing with, right. Um, or, or things that we've gone through that need to be addressed. Um, I think right now with, and I'm just thinking even about my three kids in this home, you know, we pause and we talk about, I know my 16 year old happened to see the video um, with George, George Floyd. That was traumatic for him. That was hard for him to process. Um, teachers are not necessarily trained with how to help kids through trauma when they have um, childhood trauma or things that have happened in their life that has shaken them. So trauma-informed instruction just does just that. It helps the teacher get the tools that they need. So while you're helping kids with academics, that you're also equipped to help walk kids through um, unpacking things when they happen to them. Mm -hmm. Why are teachers expected to do that? You, you just mentioned that they are not trained to do so. That is the job of a therapist or a counselor who has gone through the properly, you know, proper training from accrediting body agencies. And why should we expect a teacher to do this type of work? I really don't think a teacher is expected to do it, but it is one of those things that comes with the nature of the job. Um, I was in the classroom for 10 years and I was hired to teach specific academic things, but I will tell you that kids came with other needs and things that I had to address uh, as well. Homelessness, um, sexual abuse, um, domestic violence. Those were things that I, weren't, I wasn't trained to necessarily deal with, but I did um, learn how to nurture that child until I could get them the help um, that they needed. Um, there definitely can't be a disconnect when a child trusts you and a child comes to you and tells you, um, I'm hungry, we don't have any food, or we don't have any lights, or we don't have that. I don't have the answers. And um, I've worked with some amazing counselors who were able to put the kids in contact, but I did have to be the liaison and help, you know, make the kids feel better and, and just be there to listen. I think when a kid trusts you and they bring you into that, or maybe if, even if they don't bring you into the conversation, as a teacher, you should be able to, to, to dive in kid needs help. So I don't, I don't think teachers should be necessarily tasked with doing the work of a trained, um, licensed counselor or psychologist, but we definitely um, do a little bit of that groundwork because we definitely have relationships with our kids and they do trust us and if we get to know the kids then we know when when things are a little off or when when something has happened and so I know we are with the kids um, work a lot more closely than a counselor who covers the entire building and so we just have to have those tools to to be able to pick up on when there is an issue maybe um, know how to ask kids um, know how to ask them and not necessarily get in their business, but maybe even just ask them if they need help or, or, or you, how you can help them. I definitely don't think that you should be the counselor. We can't do that. Okay. I'm just saying, I'm, <laughs> I, I think what some teachers take on and what some people expect of teachers is part and parcel of the reason a lot of educators are bailing the profession. 
uh, because mm-hmm. instead of them coming in and teaching, you, you know, uh, what is a dangling participle, uh, now they're dealing with stuff that, number one, they weren't trained with, and number two, they don't know how to emotionally detach. And I think teachers need to understand that as much as what you're doing is a calling, uh, it is a job and you need to go and go home and let it go. Because even professional counselors have, they seek therapy themselves so that they themselves can sort of wash away what they see on a, on a, on a day-to-day basis. Cause you just can't carry that weight on you without it impacting you. Um, and you know. I agree. I, and I will say when I first started teaching, that's what I was like, this is a calling, you know, this is a calling and it doesn't end, you know, when the, at four o'clock. Um, but I have learned that you, I did get to a point in my career where I had to learn to balance because what I, what I was doing is giving my job, the teachers that I serve, the students that I serve, all of me mm. and coming home and the people who need me most had none of me. Mm. So I do believe when I'm there, I give it 200%, right? I'm giving it my all in all, but I have learned um, things like, you know, I don't work at home or now I don't work um, after, after my office hours or, or I work a certain number of hours um, every day. Or um, when I was in the classroom, I got to a point where I didn't bring um, papers home to grade. I didn't lesson plan at home, but it took me being really disciplined at work so that I could get work done. But you do bring up a, a good point that um, I don't know. It is, I will say, I, I worked in banking. And I will say it is, I don't, I hate when people say it's a calling because I see people use that calling um, a lot to act like, you know, to, to paint the picture that they're saving kids and kids necessarily don't need you to save them. But I will say it is easy to get lost in the work mm-hmm. and you have to learn, um, you know, how to balance things for sure. For sure. I hate, I hate, I hate, hey, you know, hey, hey, just wanted to, because when you heard me, I was like, oh, kind of, it kind of hit me a certain way. It kind of hit me a certain way uh, because, you know, I see the work that I do maybe differently because I came as an outsider uh, to, what I, to what I do. And I also have a degree in child and family studies and I've studied, uh, you know, human development theory as such. So, you know, I try to stay in my lane and do what I do and just go home uh, because I'm not letting, you know, I'm saying the eight to five take me out of what I find pleasant and joyous about the job. Yep. Yep. Um, so when you thought about putting this conference together and you, you said, okay, these are going to be my topics or you were stopped to stuff. What, did you have any educators in mind when you were thinking of your, of your lineup? How did you get teachers to apply to the conference? So, yeah, I like made a list of people um, that I follow whose work I really admire um, who are already having those conversations about the things that we could, 
just do better or maybe some people that I'd worked with before. Um, and so, and I was waiting on people to say no, um, but I feel like it is such an important um, converse, conversation. And I feel like with everything that's going on right now, like, like I feel like what's going on right now in education, it's a pivotal time. Yeah. And the thing that we do this school year, like people are, you know, setting up virtual schools and letting people learn from home. T parents and teachers are not, they're going to want more of this. They're going to want more um, voice in how they're educated. They're going to want more, more choice in how they learn. Um, you see students out right now um, using their voice and leading protests and, um, you know, formally organizing. It's going to be really hard to get those kids to come um, sit in the classroom and not continue to use um, use their voice. So I just think if like there's ever a time where we could come together and have conversations around doing things um, differently, like it's now. And so, yeah, I just started thinking about um, some people who were already kind of leading those conversations, mm -hmm. um, started to tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, would you mind, you know, coming to lead a session or lead a conversation? Um, and, and so th that's kind of how that got started. All right, right. Well, you know, give, give us a taste. Uh, throw a couple of names out there for the people who are listening. Let's see, Scott Baer, um, Tinashe Blanchett, um, Dr. Stephanie Boyce, who has a great um, um, small business around, like, getting your classroom fresh. I'm talking about culturally relevant pedagogy. She does some great work around that. Um, Big Ben Cogswell, who has um, Kinder Rockets, he does some um, great work around K2 education. I know a lot of times people are really leery about um, using technology with the young kids, but his kids are rocking it. Um, the tech rabbi, uh, Michael Cohen, mm -hmm. he does um, a lot of things around creativity. creativity. Um, Mary Elise Curran, who um, has the Digit Institute, um, she does a lot of work around um, inclusive teaching as well. Um, Dr. Sheldon Eakins, who does a lot of work around um, um, equity, and he's already having those conversations around um, being equitable. Um, just a, a lot of different people who's um, the HyperDocs girls, Lisa, Sarah, and Kelly, um, Dr. Nicole Howard. Um, there were just a lot of people that, you know, I, re I highly respect their work, and I feel like they were already kind of um, pushing people to look at things in a different way. So I, I'm, I'm just really, I feel really honored that they're gonna come and um, lead, lead some sessions, lead some, lead some conversations around um, what we can do to, to kind of plan forward. So are the days divided up into themes? No, the days are not necessarily, I will, no, they're not necessarily divided up um, into, into themes. Um, I had a few people who, um, just felt like they wanted to do um, live sessions. And so I kind of divided those um, into two days. I, did, I didn't necessarily do it on purpose, but um, on Dr. Um, Eakins is doing day two. And so I did kind of put a few more things, um, sessions on his day that talked about equity and culturally relevant um, pedagogy, those type of things. I thought that that was fitting for day two. Um, and then I, day one is, is, has a few more um, tech pieces, but I think you'll see tech on, on both days. I didn't want it to be another tech summit. I feel like we have enough of that. I feel like people don't necessarily need that from me. I didn't want this to be um, a space that just talked about like how to use Google or how to do that, which I do that too. 
I feel like that work is important, but I feel like um, there's enough of that out there that I didn't necessarily have to create space um, for that here. Um, but rather, if you're using technology, like how are you being intentional? Like how are you helping kids connect with the global community? Or how are you using your resources um, to be um, culturally relevant or to, to, to plan, to pull kids in, to use their voice? So there are a few sessions around that. Or how are you using creativity um, to create community? Um, in your classroom, um, those type of things. So I'm really excited about the the session lineup. And so the way the days are set up, we'll start at 9 a.m. Pacific. And so probably about every hour, hour, hour and a half-ish, there is a, a live session. And so we'll have um, five or six live sessions on Monday, July 20th, the same on Tuesday, July 21st. And there are about... Um, I would say 13, 14 um, recorded sessions that will also be um, released on both days. That's all right. That's all right. So what do you hope uh, those who either attend live or uh, just catch up on the recorded sessions, what do you hope that they get from this conference versus something else? So I started thinking about like places that I go, I don't, that I don't necessarily leave with answers. I don't think we'll have the answers, right? Because I don't think anybody has the answers right now because there's just so many things we have to think through and um, things are steadily changing. But I thought about like some spaces that I go to where I go with so many questions and I leave with a better direction to get my own questions answered. And so that's exactly what I'm hoping um, to create. So um, when I go, you know, to a conference and I have all of these things in my head, um, but I can go and sit in, sit in sessions and get resources and get a guide, maybe even get a person or two to, to connect with so that as your districts start rolling out plans or as you start, um, as they roll out plans to start in August that are probably going to change in September and November and wherever you are, um, you can, you can um, not necessarily find the answer, but at mm -hmm. least find resources to help you come up with an answer. Mm. So does any of your sessions deal with sort of what, we, what all of us are currently dealing with, with, cause you just mentioned about not knowing what the schedule you know, would be like, because, you know, you had a gov, you know, you have a governor who was very adamant. Ooh, uh, don't, uh, don't talk about him. Don't get me started. Well, I'm just on saying, he, he opened up your state Ooh, and, and, it's and he said, we're going to have school and those cases just, and all of a sudden he just, he just mentioned this week, uh, we starting school face to face because he's seen those numbers like rise, right? And for those of us who actually work in education, who are actually work in a school, we know that you cannot social distance in an average school. I did. So I did. you right because the, the classroom is only so big, That's and you fair. have between twenty five to thirty five kids per class. Mm -hmm. um, you just can't you you can't do nothing with that. And then mm -hmm. if you don't have mandatory masks mm -hmm. and all of this stuff, it's kind of like just just go home but do it a better way you know and I know a lot of our colleagues were freaking out and they were saying this is not good but here's the deal when your state superintendent tells folks 
we ain't grading. This ain't counting. Are you expecting your students to show up? I don't know about you, but if my parents wouldn't have told me, you're going to be there and you're going to go to class, mm -hmm. more than likely I wouldn't have gone mm -hmm. because I'm at the house and I got Netflix, I got video games, I got my phone. Mm -hmm. um, so this is where I think the problem was between March and whatever is it didn't count. Yep. And so kids well, show up. Yeah. And I think that depended on where you were because where we were too, it counted. Now okay. we, didn't, we didn't take a state assessment, but I have been very proud of the work my district did in that like we stepped back and said for each grade level, um, what's most important for this grade level. Oh, I like that. And then we put um, a time limit cap, like the number of assignments, the number of minutes per grade level, which subjects um, specific would be, you know, would be specifically pushed out to each kid each week. Um, and I can't say it's perfect, but I can say that I was very proud of the work that we did because I have kids, um, I have twins who are in the elementary school. Then I have a kid who's a junior on the secondary level and so I was able to kind of see it at both ends and so I was I was proud proud of that I think also you know we have to think you know at the end of the day like what matters most mm -hmm. and for me at the end of the day um, I feel very privileged I, I work with some amazing educators I might work with some amazing students but at the end of the day their health and safety matters most to me right? Not a score, not a grade, <laughs> their health and safety. And so I would much rather have people alive and well, whole, healthy. We can fill in the academic holes. Like we can fill in the academic gaps because we're educators, because we're teachers. And that's what we do every day, all day. That's what we do every school year. So I think people who are making the decisions at the top, because I feel like school leaders are just kind of strapped. They're doing whatever, in this case, um, Abbott. And I'm just going to, that's all I can say, Abbott. I'm not going to say nothing else about him. You know, what he's given is directions, and then they're working under those parameters. So um, he did announce this week that you could go face-to-face -face or you can go um, remote and have online learning, which I, I feel like it's it's it was great to have that option. But, you know, I know also being able to choose to keep your kids at home, like that's not a privilege that everybody has. Cause some people have to go to work, right? Some people don't, you know, they're not able to, to keep their kids um, at home. I just think teachers are, well, administrators rather are doing the best based on the leadership or lack thereof. Um, they're making decisions um, based on that. But at the end of the day, like math, science, social studies, reading, None of that matters if we have dead kids and dead, dead teachers because we didn't take the proper precautions to keep them healthy. And the numbers in Texas are through the roof and steadily rising. Like they're not going down. <laughs> they're steadily rising, which blows my mind that they're steadily rising. And if you look at the safety of schools, um, schools are or like at an eight or a nine when it comes to how dangerous it is to be at school in schools with this. And I'm just like blown away. Like it wasn't safe in March, but I guess it's safe in August. I don't know how that, I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know. 
They need to shut, look, all schools, universities just need to tell people we're shutting it down and we're going to go on, online and we're going to do it better this time Yep. because we're going to teach it using proper ways to teach online. Not this, yep. I just woke up and I got a gunshot wound and I'm going to yep. try to use some crazy glue and a Band-Aid to fix it instead of getting a surgeon. Yep. Uh, so... That needs to happen because, as you mentioned, safe and welfare of people. Um, and I understand that what's going to happen when you have a choice, the lower income people will be the ones who send their kids. Yep. And depending on where you are, that lower income is going to be black and brown. Yep. And we already know those numbers and how susceptible they are to uh, having real complications once they uh, catch COVID. So uh, we just really need to shut that down. So for those who will, who are interested in attending your conference, how do they register and will, where will they be able to go to actually see the live conferences? If they're interested in attending, they can visit um, www.rethinklearningsummit.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Rethink2TOLearn. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Nicole, for coming on and, and sharing your conference and, uh, you know, indulging me in some other questions. Yes, you know I love talking to you, Dr. Will. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode will be available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify. I need you to subscribe, leave your stars, and can I get some ratings? I'm trying to be found, and I'm also trying to get Oprah on the show, and I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Nicole Taylor, for coming on and dropping so many gems and giving you a sneak peek preview into the Rethink Learning Summit. Uh, please go ahead and sign up and attend. And in the show notes will be links for you to get all of that taken care of. And you can go ahead and get your learning while you're at the house. Uh, so get your snacks ready, you know, your favorite beverage, and get ready to learn, people. Uh, again, I'd like to thank my guest, Nicole Taylor, for coming on. And again, I'd like to thank you for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university for entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you, EDU, peace. <laughs>